welcome to episode 72 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Curtis Blaze, host of the Better Off Dead Minute and the upcoming Time Bandits Minute. Welcome to the show, Curtis. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rob. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, we've had fun on, on other recordings, so I figured you know might as well you know try to try to get you in here also. So hopefully, hopefully we'll you have were, a, a fun you were time. In, in this as we're recording this. You were just on time bandits. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. I, I just get deja deja vu thinking about us recording this episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I don't know. I can't <laughs> figure that out. No, no clue whatsoever. Episode seventy-two begins with Henley informing Vernon. Uh, to Werner to stop looking for his wallet and goes all the way till Henley continues. He comments on how mixed up a kid Werner is. Yesterday's episode, we basically discussed the fact that Werner came across the fact that he was missing his wallet, which, as, as we all know, was a nice sleight of hand of Henley a few weeks ago where he uh, pilfered it and they were able to get all those uh, fun documents from there. However long it is, he finally uh, realized that, that he's missing his wallet, and he figures that it must be in Henley and Blythe's room. So he comes into there, tries to start looking for it. Henley, as as we know, Henley is, did this all on purpose in order to be able to uh, blackmail him into giving them something. He basically starts off this minute by saying to Werner, all right, I'll look for it. it it's going to look a little suspicious if anyone sees the two of us you know, probing around at this uh, at this time of night, so I mean it, it's a great line because the the way that that Henley delivers it is I mean since we know his real motivations here, it it's just very tongue in cheek the way he says it. You know he's like um you know I'm gonna find it. You just get out of here, and I, I don't need you to find it. Basically is what he's saying because as we know, and he says that I'll find it. I promise you I'll find it even if I have to tear the whole room apart which he's sort of letting the cat out of the bag because of the way he's saying it. You know, he's, he's basically, you know, as, as we know, he knows where the, where the wallet is. So by saying, saying it the way that he's saying it just comes off quite interestingly because Werner doesn't get it. Wonder if, do, do you think it has to do with the fact that the language issue or just he's, he's a little bit of an adult? A uh, uh, couple of your words, uh, uh, cut out there, so I wasn't sure what you're asking, but, um, <clears throat> you know, Werner, Werner is just being used by them, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not participating. No. Um, it's interesting to me that he's the weasel when he doesn't, when he's not actually participating in the, in the scheme, uh, or the ferret, I'm sorry, the ferret. <laughs> ferret, weasel, uh, you know, there's not much of a difference between the two, is there? Well, the ferret. The ferret seems nicer. The ferret seems like something that, uh, like, like goes around grabbing things. The weasel seems like there's some evil intent there. Right, but the the ferret, this guy, the ferret is a is a term for the, the German guards. That's what the, that was the that was one of the uh, one of the slang terms used by the prisoners for the for the guards. That was they were historic. Ferrets. Nice. I, yes, I didn't know that. Wow, yes. that's a whole conversation that we could have right there about uh, uh, yes. how they felt about the German guards. Did the, uh, why, why ferret? 
do you suppose? Is that something you've you've looked up? Is that uh, something you've already discussed with someone? Um, I haven't discussed it with anyone, if I remember correctly. I I did <laughs> I did look it up. There was a reason that they called them ferrets. Well, that's fine. I'm just I'm just uh, I'm just wondering because I love this movie so much, and you seem to just be the authority. It's like, oh, I've got this opportunity now with Rob to to find out everything I've ever wanted to know about this movie. <laughs> well, you have to listen to the whole podcast for that. <laughs> uh, well, are, okay. are you looking well, for a shortcut here, Curtis? Is that what you're saying here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna listen to all 187 minutes. So 172, 172. Probably. Don't go. Don't, 172. 172 plus a bonus episode. How's that? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, the this guard, Werner, does he know? Do you think he knows he's being used? No, I don't think he does. It seems like it seems like he's playing it that he doesn't know he's being used. What are the exact documents that they're getting off of him here? They they got travel passports. They got uh, a travel permit. They were I mean they, they were actually able to get get off of him a, a timetable of all the guards you know when they're on their shifts and things like that. They got a copy of what a train ticket looks like. I mean there there are a lot of things that they they got off of him. They basically said that he struck gold by you know by by finding this particular wallet because there was so much stuff in there. So then they're going to start they're going to start making copies of all this stuff for the escapees escapers. Correct. And, but they need, they need, they need a camera in the first place in order to make copies of it. They don't have Correct. that yet. And that's what the scene yeah, is the all scene about. Yeah, the scene is all about the idea of them finding a way to, to get, to get a copy, uh, to find out, you know, how they can get a camera in order to take pictures of all of the, the prisoners. So he needs to, so Renner needs to bring a camera back and then take Okay, and then they'll take pictures of the documents before he gets his wallet back with all of the stuff in it. Correct. No, I mean he can. They no, they don't need to take a picture of the of the tra- of the documents themselves. They need to take pictures uh, of the prisoners in order to use. Oh, them, okay. If somebody uh, in order to put their pictures on the various documents. Got it. That means somebody is. Like, like an artist is hand drawing yes. these things yes. or or fashioning mm-hmm. these things. Lies and his whole crew. Their job is basically making sure that they can copy all of these permits uh, by hand, or maybe they're using some sort of typewriter. I mean, uh, that I don't know uh, for part of them. I mean, there there is a point in the future where we see that that someone brings over a document that they did by hand. They're they're, they're very good artists. But what they're missing is is the camera, and that that's what, as you said, that's what this whole scene is. You know, they they found a way to blackmail one of the guards by stealing his wallet, so that they're asking him to to get them a camera. So I mean, the scene continues. You know, Henley just said said right now to to Werner, go away, basically. I'm gonna take care of uh, of finding your wallet, and then he sits down back at his chess game because he and 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 Blythe are are sitting and playing chess, and uh, Blythe then points to one of his pieces which is uh, what he actually just moved in order, you know, while while Henley was, was dealing with uh, Werner at the time. You know, he just wants to let him know which, which you know, which, which piece, because I think he said he had him in check right beforehand. So he had to move his, he had right. to move his king out of the way. I, I, I love the, the hand signals because Blythe points to, to his king, and at that point, Henley points to his cheek. 
Now, is he scratching himself, or is it something that he's looking, you know, is he signaling back something? Obviously, we'll never know, but it, it looks like he might be signaling. You know, that, that doesn't look that natural with the way he's doing it. Right. He's, like, pointing pointing under his eye type of thing. Like, is, he, is this the motion? Well, since this is not video, I can see what you're doing, but no one else can. No, no, I, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm asking. Yes. Well, but you probably should explain I mean, to me what I, you just I, did. I'm describing. Curtis just poked at his eye. Um. <laughs> <laughs> is he? What I'm asking is: Is he putting his finger underneath his eye and like pointing like this, you know, and like pointing at his eye from? His I believe cheek? that's what he's doing. Yes. That means yes. a thing. That means that means I don't Actually, believe you usually. Me, that means you're you're full of crap, or whoever's talking is is. Yeah. Famous. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe he's. Saying to to Blythe, I'm full of crap, <laughs> you know, not, uh, <laughs> you know, they continue their game and then uh, Werner screams, thank you. And the response from Henley is, ah, forget it. Don't worry about it. And then Werner leaves. And as the door's about to shut, he goes, uh, Werner, yes. And he goes, ah, I'm going to need one small favor from you. I need a camera. And he, he says it so nonchalantly. <laughs> you know, he's just sitting there looking at the board. And he goes, ah, I need a camera. And and the way that, that Werner's jaw just drops is great. I mean, the, the acting here is, is just superb. It is, you know, he's, he's... Oh, for sure. At, at this point, Robert Graf, uh, Werner, knows he, he's yeah. gotten, knows he's been yes, compromised. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's smiling, and then immediately his face, the facial expression changes completely. And he's he's dumbfounded. He basically just says, "I've just been hooked," and like his and you can see his so, eyes sort of popping out also at the same time. So it's it's uh, it's definitely a great scene. Yes, what were you saying, Curtis? I don't like to be tricked. I'm not a fan of that at all. I feel like if I was Werner, and I realized because it's obvious, you know, from Mister Graff's acting that he's realizing that he's now being taken for a ride. I would, I would definitely, at this point, not put up with their crap. I feel like I would, I would start tearing apart them. Yeah, but he realizes that he doesn't. That he realizes he doesn't have that option because if 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 he tears up the room and someone else finds out that he's tearing up the room, so then the question will be asked. How did he lose his wallet? What were you doing there? He says, "Well, I was. You know, what was he going to say? I suspected they were building a tunnel there, and and at the same time, I found my wallet." Because we, we, we don't know if the wallet is in the room. My assumption is it's not in the room. My assumption is that right now his wallet and all the documents are with the other forgers. <laughs> spread out across exactly. the camp. Spread yeah. out or, or across the camp that uh, all the different forgers are, are doing their work copying these documents as well as possible. I mean, you got to remember, they didn't have photocopy machines back then. Or even stenography. Yeah, machines. what a dilemma. Well, what, are the, what are those ones called? What a dilemma to be What are the ones called? Where, where, um, where you... Did they even... Did they even have mimeograph machines back I, then? I don't know. I don't know. What, what I was thinking is, you know, have, have you ever seen the movie Teachers? Yes. Okay, so there's there's one teacher who is constantly making dittos, right? Then the teacher's name is Ditto, and he has that uh, that machine that you crank, and the paper goes through it, and it makes copies that was, of all that. I remember in high school. I remember in, in elementary school and high school, the teachers always used those. Yeah, in the seventies and eighties, those were mimeograph machines. Right. They okay. smelled that's, great. That's I loved them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll never forget the smell of the ink from those things. Mm. 
Oh, yeah. When you, you know, when you really think about this movie, when you really start thinking about this movie, they had to make their own ink from somewhere or get their ink from somewhere. Like, how do they... It's a way to ask. How did they, how did they get ink? How did they get stuff into the camp at all? What was the situation? Ah, well, we're, we're going to talk about that shortly. There's, there's, I, I got a lot, oh, okay. a lot to say about that about how they snuck a lot of things into the, <laughs> into the camp. Sneaking things in, okay, okay. So they were but, sneaking but things there in. Stuff, there's, this movie, there, there's, but they were making stuff yes. too. They, the, the yeah. compasses they made themselves. You know, they get like little pieces of mercury and create compasses. You know, makeshift compasses for the whole thing. Sure. The ink itself, I can't tell you how they made it. That that I wasn't able to figure out. And so they must have found a way to, to steal it in very high uh, proportions in order to be able to use it. Just stole it from Just whenever Hogan would go into Colonel Klink's office, he'd he'd swipe a bottle of it. Exactly. Now, I wonder if you can make your own ink, you know, by... Hmm, I'm trying to think of if there's something that they might have used in order to, to make their own ink. Yeah. Well, it's always been... I mean, you know, people crush flowers and mix it with water and alcohol and whatever. I mean, making ink seems like a pretty rudimentary thing. Okay, so maybe that's how they did it then. I'm actually... I'm just wondering, like, what plausible way they would have used to make black ink. Okay, here's the ingredients for making black ink at home. Ready? Yes. A tablespoon of lamp black. You can make yourself by holding a plate over a candle and collecting the soot. Okay. An egg yolk, a teaspoon of gum arabic, which is just, you know, I don't know what that is, but it's probably some... Uh, okay, I have to know what gum arabic is. <laughs> okay, so in other words, it's, it's not... It's not so trivial. Yeah, it's something they could have... It's not so trivial for them right. to do this. They're, they're, they, they would know how to do it quite simply. Yeah, and I get the feeling, you know, people that were in the Army back then were coming out of... There was a lot higher percentage of people coming from, like, the Boy Scouts and uh, organizations like that where they would have does, learned these things, the Boy Scouts, learned how to do these Do things. they teach you how to make ink in the Boy Scouts? <laughs> That's not something I would think of. I mean, a few weeks ago we had a whole discussion about uh, you know the merit badges between Henley and Werner when they first met up. Yeah, uh, I don't recall them mentioning anything about uh, you know getting a, an ink badge. <laughs> but you're right. Well, you're right. But also, people back in the in the 30s and 40s, they 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 needed to make more things on their own. You know, even well, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like when you're getting your when you're getting your badge for. Uh, making stamps, like that's one of the badges you get is, you know, you carve your own stamp out of a piece of wood and then you, uh, you know, a block printer thing. It would be plausible, I would think, back then, rather than buying expensive ink, to just make something. Yeah, that's true. You know, even if it was as simple as mixing soot with water and a little bit of honey to give it some stand-up stuff and you know, and then and making it, it just seems like people back then, especially scouts, were probably a lot more self or just proficient. Right, but I'm not even talking about just scouts. I'm saying anyone in general. If you, you know, someone living in in a oh, yeah, backwater yeah. town in uh, Arkansas, right? That's where you're from. Uh, <laughs> you know, back back then, they, you know, yeah, you, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily going to go buy everything in the general store, so it's possible. That you know you'd find a way to 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 make your own ingredients for things and and then use those skills later in life. Oh yeah, and I mean 
for sure, Americans were 15 years out of that, roughly 15 years out of that, or even 10, 41, whatever, out of the Great Depression where people didn't have stuff and they just had to make it if they wanted exactly. it. Exactly. Alcohol. I mean, like some sophisticated things because alcohol could kill you if you made it wrong and people weren't dying that often. I, I think alcohol can kill you if you make it right also. <laughs> <laughs> Only the right amount. <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay. So fun times. I yeah. mean, this this whole scheme, this whole movie, this whole scheme is just amazing. It's just so fun yes. to watch. So uh, moving along, we get Henley actually tells him why he needs a camera. We want to take some snapshots, you know, to have some, some keepsakes from from living in the you know living living in this in this camp, so he he needs a thirty five millimeter camera with a two point eight lens and a plain shutter, and you know these things. One second, <laughs> one one second. We'll get Go there on. in a second, and then they show Werner's uh, face, uh, his jaw dropping even further down, trying to realize that that he's very much being wrangled in right now. At this point, Blythe corrects Henley and says, "No, we need something with a." Focal plane shutter, not just a shutter. So he then says to Werner, "Oh, Werner, uh, we need a focal plane shutter." Now I, I know that you have a background in photography, so maybe you can explain to people who are very ignorant like me, who have no idea what a focal plane shutter is, uh, or what type of shutters there are. So why don't you enlighten us, <laughs> or enlighten me? Well, I, I'm the only person in the world who doesn't know. So let's let um, everyone else is intelligent. Everyone else knows what knows this. I'm the one person who doesn't. So go ahead, explain to me what it is, please, Curtis. Let me first start off by saying that I'm not sure why they need this highly technical camera in order to just take snapshots of people for documents. Um, they really are. They're they're asking for a very good camera, and uh, people that go and buy fancy cameras now at a Best Buy or whatever, they're not getting a camera that's this good in 2020. They're getting, they're getting a, uh, Wait a second. There's what about 2021? 2020. <laughs> Did I say 2002? No, you oh said 2020. Uh, you said 2020, but, but uh, you know, we're, we're beyond 2020 already. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like we're repeating it over and over again been a long yes. year yes the um so people now when they go out to buy cameras aren't getting aren't getting lenses this good i mean they're getting a they're getting a focal plane shutter because that's the thing and i'll explain that here in a second but as far as lenses go the that 2.8 measurement is a measurement of how much light comes in and the smaller the number is like to a to a person just looking at a camera who doesn't know photography the bigger the lens is, the bigger around the lens is. Because the smaller that number is, the more light gets in. Okay. So you've got when you've got like a two point eight, you've got a you know, a pretty pretty hefty camera with a lot of glass in it that lets a lot of light in. Right now when people go to a Best Buy and they buy themselves a fancy camera, they're buying uh lenses with a number of that says four point five on it, which is a huge difference from a two point. So I, all that to say, they're getting a, they're really asking for a pretty fancy camera for this time period. Well, and maybe because they need, maybe because they need the pictures to, to, to be of a good quality, good enough quality because they're going on official documents. Could that be? I mean, yeah, it could be. 
uh, it all depends on your exposure because there's you know there's the exposure triangle you have you have your light and you have your ISO which back then would have been film speed and you have that that f number that f stop number and if they <clears throat> I know so if they if they really needed to they could have taken a much less you know lower quality camera and just exposed it for longer to get enough light to make it look good. But all that's beside the point. They're getting this amazing camera, which was just invented less than a hundred years ago at this point, like in, in 1889. What do you mean? It's not even hundred. He's asking, not even a hundred years. What are you talking about? That that's uh, if if we're that's sixty years even. No, it's fifty years. That's what I said. Less than a less than a hundred yeah, years 50, ago. Fifty. That's it's fifty years. If we're now in forty four, right. so yeah, it's fifty five years or whatever it is. Wow. Yep. Before before. 55 years before this, they didn't have a, a type of thing called a focal plane shutter. They had a, uh, oh, what's it called? It's like a daisy. What am I trying to say? It's it's the kind of, when you think about shutters on cameras, there's a, what is the name for it? When you think about shutters on the camera? I don't know. Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> about shutters on the camera. I know. I'm sorry. I just need one second. To Come on, I don't even here. know what a focal plane it's shutter not. is. Do you think I know what they're using on cameras now? <laughs> okay. Well, I'll describe it this way. Uh, whenever you see pictures being taken in movies, what happens is you've got a circle in the center, and that circle opens up and then shuts. Are you aware of that yes. effect when you're when they're pretending? That was the kind of shutter that they used to have. It used to be built right into the lenses. And what happened with that is that the light in the center of the picture got more light than on the edges because it opened up. And as it opened up, that center was exposed and the edges, you know, finally got exposed to the light at when it was fully open. And then as it went shut, that center was still exposed in light, but the edges of the photo were now not getting light. So every picture would be a little bit brighter in the center okay. and it would vignette, which means that it would be darker around the edges. What they're asking for is a focal plane shutter, which is built right over the, well, obviously right over the focal plane, which doesn't mean anything to you right nope, now. It means nothing to me. <laughs> it, 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 it's a shutter. It's a shutter that opens right at the place where where the light is focusing, rather okay. than forward from where the light is focusing. And so there's less, you know, light things bouncing around between the between the shutter and the in the image processor. And the difference in this is this thing opened from left to right. It it opened up on the left and it it opened up to the left and it shut going to the left. Which means that it would open up and every and the entire image would be exposed to light. The, the entire image processor would be exposed to light and then it would shut. And every single molecule of the image processor then was exposed to light for the exact same amount of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was revolutionary for cameras. I mean, when it happened, you know, because before this, it was it was that other type of shutter I was talking about that opens from the middle out and then back in. Or you would just take a thing off of the – you would just actually take a, a cover off of the camera and then put a cover back on it. And there was no – and that was your that was your shutter. It was your hand or whatever. Uh -huh. Okay. So it made it made people with less skill a lot more 
it made people with less skill at using a camera more capable of taking in focus good photos. Right, because you don't have to. You so don't that have might to be the shutter that, yourself. The shutter is automatic. Right, you don't have to. You don't have to hold it very still and open it and close it. Or even if it was automatic, you didn't have to deal with the different light things and and the way that miniaturized stuff didn't work that well in nineteen or in eighteen eighty nine. Probably not even that well in in the forties. Right. But so they're asking for a pretty good camera, and they're asking for a camera with a pretty big lens that lets a lot of light in, which to me just says that they probably are trying to do this by candlelight or just really low wattage electric lights in order to get the pictures to look good. Do you, do you think it's just they're saying it here to make it sound more technical than it really is? Kind of. Kind of. Meaning that when they made the script, um, they just decided, you know, they're going to throw that down and that's it. <laughs> they're going to A-team the, the focal plane shutter in there. <laughs> You know, the thing is, we don't really know at the time in the, this was made in the 60s. 63, yeah. 63. In 63, maybe focal plane shutter was something that people were aware of as being a fancy camera. Uh-huh. And so they threw it in there to make it <laughs> sound like more like they knew what they were doing. Uh-huh. Okay, that, that, that's fair. At this point, uh, Werner has been given his assignment. He needs to find a camera with a focal plane shutter in order for them to, in order for him to get his wallet back and for him to not get in trouble at all. Basically at this point, Henley before we go on before we go on, for all the photographers out there that were screaming at the podcast just now, the name of that other kind of shutter is a leaf shutter. Okay, now we can go okay. on. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have noticed the difference, so that's fine. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, one of the things that, that, that I find really interesting about about this whole scene is the whole time you have Blythe and Henley playing chess, okay? So it got me starting to think, you know, like, what type of things did prisoners do in in the camp in order to pass their time when they weren't digging tunnels? You know, like... Well, yeah, that's kind of my question, too, because, I mean, we see chess pieces, we see... You see him playing baseball. The guy's got the glove and the ball all the time. Uh, we we, we like, see characters playing playing with uh, cards at some point. Uh, I think I think if I remember correctly, there's there's a place where someone plays checkers, right? So so I decided. Right, right. I decided, I'm thinking, I'm thinking even the German people themselves during the war didn't have all that right. stuff. So I, I decided to to try and do a little bit of research to to find out about sports in uh, these type of camps, and I, I was very shocked to actually find a 24-page academic article called Anything But Ordinary, POW Sports in a Barbed Wire World. This this was uh, printed in the Journal of Sports History in 2007, and it was just fascinating. Um, you, you wouldn't believe the things that they talked about. That uh, I mean, this is told more from an American perspective than, than the uh, British perspective, but I think it's, it's pretty much the same because of all the things that, that they actually had in, I mean, the camps that the, the, the British and American prisoners were mixed together, you know, they, they would still be getting them. Now, they basically, you know, in the, in the book, the only, they, they mentioned the game that, uh, of volleyball, that uh, characters would, uh, you know, or uh, the prisoners would play volleyball in their spare time. And according to this article, there were 95,000 American POWs in German camps during the war, which is a really, really large amount. 
I never would have thought that there was there was close to 100,000 prisoners at this point. 33,000 of them were, were pilots that were shot down, okay? the This particular camp that they were in, Stalag Luft Three, they had a football field. They had several baseball fields. They had softball diamonds. They had basketball courts. They had a, a perimeter track that ran a half mile. And one of the things that this article discusses, one of the things that this article mentions is that a lot of these prisoners were in very good health and shape uh, when they were repatriated because they had so much access to all of these sports materials, uh, facilities. That's uh, that's the exact opposite of what I would do if I was a prisoner of war, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but the question is, is, what else did they have to do? If they're going to, they can, you know, as we've seen scenes where they're gardening dirt, you know. So if, if you're given an opportunity to sit and play sports, you know, that, that would be fine. Now, then the question uh, remains, okay, how did, where did they get equipment for all of these sports? A lot of it came from the YMCA. The YMCA, they put out a report in 1945 after the end of the war that they were able to ship via the Red Cross 1,754,254 sports articles to prisoner of war camps. Okay, we're talking nearly 2 million articles of sports material, okay? In, a, in just a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that that's a huge number, even if you're just counting every ping pong ball that, that, is, that, that they sent over. You know, <laughs> they, they sent over footballs and hockey sticks and jerseys and elastic bandages, balls, gloves, figure skates, pucks, sabers, epis, masks for, for people who were you know, who, who, who were into fencing. They send o- sent over golf irons. They sent over horseshoes for them to play play horseshoes. If uh, if anyone has seen Stalag 17, there's a very pivotal scene where the characters are playing horseshoes. They sent them repair kits for a lot of their sports equipment. They sent them shoelaces. I mean, they, they even had sports officers in the camps. You know, they had, like, the guy in charge of all the, the sporting equipment. It, it's just it amazes me the amount of 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 people and and articles of of sports equipment that that these camps had. I mean, you think prisoner of war camp, you wouldn't think that that these are sports recreation facilities, but but they were. Yeah, they sound like they sound like the the, the parks and rec exactly of any town exactly. They've got all these they've got all these fields for it. They had a golf. They had. A, they had a golf course. Yes, yes. So that's cr- at, at the real life camp that this movie yes, is about. They had a golf. Yes. <laughs> okay. And eighteen holes. Not we'll, nine. Take it. we'll We'll get there. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> well, now some of the equipment they they didn't let the the other the sports officer would would keep hidden or would keep locked up because they were afraid that things would 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 break via wear and tear, and then they wouldn't have them anymore. They also feared that 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 sometimes. You know, if, if if a ball goes through a window and breaks the window, so the Germans weren't going to replace the window. So you know, they needed to be real careful about what what damage they were doing to the camp. They they had cricket teams, they had soccer teams, they had rugby teams. The <laughs> a side note: this article mentions the fact that the you know in the winter they, the, the the prisoners would have snowball fights that would turn into real fights. You know, there, there was a lot of exercise that, that they all got. You know, they also had to worry about hitting the ball over the fence. So they would have a special flag 
that a a prisoner would would wave as he was going over the the areas of the fence or wherever he was allowed to to go to pick up the ball so that he wouldn't get shot. Uh, even though there were some sadistic guards that still shot prisoners that were going to retrieve balls. Even if they had a flag. Yeah, even if they had a flag. There were 10,000 POWs in Stalag Luth III, uh, in and of itself. 2,000 of them were were a part of 200 baseball teams that they had in the compound. Can you, I mean, in, in, in professional baseball, right now, what is there? There's 34 teams, if I remember correctly? Okay. Yeah. Something like right. that. In, in one POW camp, they had 200 teams. It's just... Well, okay, so I so I have a question about that. Uh, does it mean they had 200 competing teams at one time, or does it mean that this week we're calling ourselves uh, Johnson's Raiders, and next week a slightly different configuration of those guys are calling themselves... Uh, the POWs or whatever. No, the, the, these were these were different teams for every season that they would make up. They would say, "Okay, we have a ten-week uh, season, a three-month season, whatever it is," and they would split up into two hundred different teams. They they had newspapers. They had newspapers in the camp that that would uh, that would have the standings and box scores and individual statistics of of who the leaders were in. In the in the particular camp, okay, the German commandant would would show up at some of the games, and he would show his way of cheering by beating his cane against his boots in order to, you know, to not really cheer along with everybody else. In in this camp, they had they had two leagues where there were four hundred prisoners playing basketball. Okay, they had ice hockey. They would create their own ice hockey rinks by they would they would take water from the fire pool. And and uh, put it where they would they would you know wait for it to freeze over and then they would be able to, to have ice skating. They actually have one year where they had to cancel the the season because they had too many sticks that got broke, broken in the middle of the fights during the game. <laughs> okay, they had volleyball teams. They had soccer teams. That the, there's there's a quote that's saying that the the Americans who who tried playing European soccer. They they were able to provide more laughs than a Bob Hope program because it was just so comical for the for for the Brits to to, to look at them. In Stalag Seventeen, they had a miniature golf course, okay, and in Stalag Luft Three, they had a nine-hole golf course, and some of the golf clubs were altered hockey sticks, <laughs> which were which were also provided by the YMCA. They actually had an exclusive country club in in the uh, in the camp that was known as four f-o-r-e that's what they called the, the thing <laughs> they would they would actually they use the golf course in order to hide sand while they were tunneling you know they have their sand traps so they would come and they would bring sand from from the their digging and put them in the you know in the sand traps which which is quite clever to to do that they had a track and field area in Stalagluf 3, which they had places to do the high jump. They had the uh, 1,000 or 2,000-yard run. They would have a 100-yard race to find out the fastest man race. Obviously, the uh, Germans didn't allow them to have a pole vaulting uh, campaign. <laughs> that, would, that would be a little counterproductive. They'd let them have baseball bats, but not pole vault. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can have all the like like twenty thousand uh twenty thousand prisoners could overcome us with baseball bats and golf clubs and hockey sticks and stuff and but but you're not allowed to pull vault because you might go over the fence. Yes. <laughs> well, These were just so weird back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, they they would actually the YMCA or or veterans groups or whatever would actually smuggle things in in these sports equipments. They would smuggle in radio parts and camera parts uh, inside baseballs. They would hollow out baseballs and put parts in so that when you got the whole bag of baseballs inside, when you opened it up, you you had a treat. You had you know you had a camera that was broken up into to a whole bunch of different parts. The handles of the ping pong uh, paddles and the baseball bats. Also, they would hollow them out and put stuff in there also. I mean, this is just so fascinating. Because this is something that I've never thought of before. I've never I've never given that any thought either. Um, so, you know, they're smuggling in equipment. They're smuggling in maps. They're smuggling in stuff. All because, like they said in the movie, it's their duty to escape. That was real life then. Yes. Completely. This is probably among the most fascinating things I've found. And I'm not a sports fan, but the idea that, that you know, uh, that about how much of this was going on in the camp is, is just mind-boggling. Fascinating at the same time. And so basically we, 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 we're at the, the last point of this minute. Henley gives his favorite line, one of my favorite lines, that after Werner leaves the room, he goes, ah, he's a crazy mixed-up kid, that Werner, but I still like him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was surprised to learn. I don't know if you have discussed this before, but uh, this Robert Graff, this guy that played Werner, he was actually a uh, he was actually in the the army. He was actually in the German army. Mm-hmm. Correct. He was. Uh, oh, okay. You guys have discussed this. No, no, he was, no. Uh, go ahead. Discuss it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Oh, I, well, I just found this little tidbit about him. Um, he was he was conscripted into the into the Wehrmacht. And he was sent to the Eastern Front, though just the worst place to be. Which is why he came, which is why his char- character, you know, was scared about going to the Eastern Front because he knew what it was like. <laughs> he got wounded uh, near the end of the war in 1944, and uh, so when he came back, he got assigned to like war production duties in Munich, where he ended up studying theater, and that's how he ended up being an actor in the first place. And how he ended up in this movie. He married the actress Selma Erfer. And was the father of the... He was the father... His One of his children was Dominic Graff, who made... I didn't look this up, sorry to say. Who made a, made a documentary about his father. Right. That's what it was. It was just, uh, it was just amazing to me. You know, in this day and age, I don't think if someone was in the German army, they would give him a job <laughs> uh, if they, you know, right after the war. I mean, he died of well, cancer, this right? Years this, well, is, 20 years this is 20 later. 20 years later, yeah. Years later. But we have people, we have people just, you know, not being able to live stuff down from 20 years ago in modern times. Uh, right. But, you know... Back then, it was more about the art than the than the person. It it makes me wonder, you know, someone coming from the German army, like how into the sort of you know bad things that you did that this guy was. I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to put any shade on him. He was an amazing part of this. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, he he also, I mean, he 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 passed away not long after this movie came out. Yeah, cancer. You yeah. know, he he died at the age of 42, three years after this movie came out. Right. I mean, he was just a kid. Well, I mean, in the army, he was just you know just a kid, and he. Well, that's what they say, but, but I mean, the, also, I mean, the as we just said, Henley calls him a kid, but yeah. he's, it's funny. He's he's actually older. Than James Garner, he's like <laughs> almost ten years older than James Garner, and Garner calls him a kid. He would be, he would be, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Curtis, do you have anything else to say about uh, this minute? Oh, you know, I could go on and on about the lighting and everything, but I think we're. Uh, it seems it seems to be feeling like it needs to wrap up. I'm, I'm not trying to wrap it up. If you have something interesting that you want people to hear, then by all means. Oh, I pick things apart. Uh, isn't that what we do by minute by minute uh, podcast? <laughs> yeah. No, it just it just I just find it you know I don't really I don't know really have much more to say about it. I just find it incredibly fascinating that the Germans were so into uh, cooperating and taking care of American prisoners, considering what they were doing in the other camps. That is just that just seems like a different you know a different set of people doing that. No, but that, that's how it's portrayed in the movie. I mean, yeah. in the real story, the guards were a little more sadistic. Yeah. I mean, it's not it, – it, based on what's written in the book, it, it doesn't reach the proportions of, of things that happened, you know, in the death camps. Right. And stuff like that. And, and I understand the difference between – You know, you also have to take into consideration – you have to take into consideration what type of, of uh, German soldiers are being sent to, to be the guards sure. in these particular camps. Yeah. You know, these, these are not the elite of the elites. Yeah, they'd be on the front, huh? They'd be either on the front or in some place a little more important than guarding, you know, uh, thousands of of Allied prisoners. <laughs> I wonder how. I just wonder how, you know. What am I trying to say? The Americans, the Americans' attitude in this movie were just real jovial. There are well, all the prisoners are are super jovial. In real life, that probably wasn't the case. But it almost seems like a fun place to be. People are coming out. <laughs> people are coming out more fit, which, as we know now in in modern times, uh, leads to better mental health. It almost seems like a vacation uh, when they weren't getting yeah. beat up or or shot. <laughs> and it also gives gives people, you know, more. Uh, if, if it's better for mental health, then therefore it's easier for them to think about how they're going to try and escape. I would also think that, um, you know, if they're if they're healthy and they feel better, they're also easier to take care of from the German perspective. If you have a bunch of people that are miserable all the time, it would just be, you know, trying to get them to do anything would just be a constant, constant pain versus having healthy people. You know, they when you're healthy, you, you cooperate more. You take more crap from people when you're healthy. Kind of like, ah, yeah. Yes. But anyway, man, I I love this movie. This movie is amazing, and I'm so glad that you are. What what go on. What's your? No, I was going to say what what's your history with the movie? We we oh we haven't well, discussed that. Uh, when did you first see this? I, I've seen it three times all together in my life. I don't have a clear memory of the first time. What's that? That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, no, I'm surprised. Only no, you're you're talking so enthusiastically about this movie. That's great, but it, you know, you, it, you made it sound as if you've seen oh, it more well, often than that. You know, the first time I saw it, I was young, and I was really into. Let's see how did this work. I was really into Hogan's Heroes. I loved that as a sitcom when I was a kid. And my dad was like, oh, you should see this movie then. <laughs> and I watch it and kind of with that Hogan's Heroes mindset in in mind while I was watching it, I really enjoyed it. It's like, oh, this would be like the real Hogan's Heroes. This is how it would have really happened. Right? Exactly. Well, this is – this and they, – they, they based Hogan's Heroes on this and – on Starlog 17, more on Starlog 17, but there there are elements from this movie and this story that also, you know, transferred over. That to and when I was a kid, it was kind of my first grown-up movie, you know, uh, in terms of, it, it, you know, it wasn't a kid plot. It was kind of a grown-up plot. And, you know, I was young. I mean, I'm saying, you know, I was six, right. seven years old the first time I saw this movie. So it was kind of, so I was kind of proud of myself for like sticking with this adult movie and getting it and enjoying it and getting the humor and everything that happened in it. And also it was fascinating <laughs> to me, you know, the whole tunnel digging thing. This is when I'm a kid still. This is the first time I'm watching it. The whole tunnel digging thing, the engineering thing was just, I just loved it. I just, you know, replayed it in my mind all the time. You have to keep in mind, I, I'm saying I only watched this three times because what happened is we didn't have, we didn't have the ability to just watch it all the time. It just had to come on TV, you know, when I was when I was that young. So I watched it once, you know, and I watched The Guns of Navarone once, and I watched uh, Kelly's Heroes once, and then, you know, years and years later, when I was when I was in my twenties and thirties, it's like I'm going to revisit these movies. I'm going to watch these movies again. And I kind of kind of went through a, a a phase of watching The Great Escape and Kelly's Heroes and all those great movies, you know the the Dirty Dozen, all those things over again. And then um, I guess I could watch it about four times because I, I watched it one other time after I met my wife. I kind of wanted to show her the movie because she had never seen it. And then I watched it one more time with you. But the fact that I've only watched it four times, I'm super enthusiastic about this movie. I just, you know, yeah. Seriously? <laughs> That's great. This movie is just, I I don't know. It just It's just one of those movies. It's kind of like Kelly's Heroes. There's just things in this movie that kind of live in my head all the time. I'll just, you know, be reminded of when I see something happen in real life. Yeah, when when someone uh, trips you up and, and uh, instead of speaking German, you say something in <laughs> Yeah, English. when that kind yeah. of thing happens, yeah, I'm trying to escape from, uh, from Germany, like, for sure. Those were dark days, but yes. definitely lived in my head in those days. Exactly, or when you get blackmailed into, you know, having to give things. someone a camera. All of the things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? I don't know, uh, you know... Really, I, I troll around. Here's a, here's how you get in touch with me. Uh, go to Linktree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. Linktree slash Curtis Plays, my name, which is also spelled weird, so you can't find me there either, but it's C-U-R-T-I-S-B-L-O-E-S, like blows, Curtis Blows. Linktree slash Curtis Blows, and that takes you to everything that I am. All of my email addresses, my photography stuff, all my podcast stuff, just everywhere. But in about a month, after this one airs, we are launching the Time Bandits Minute. That is, uh, that's the movie from 1981 uh, about Time Bandits. I'm saying that weird, but I'm really proud of the work we're doing there. Just had Rob on, you know, uh, like last week to talk about it. 
I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I want you guys to come here. Yeah, I, I had fun on my three episodes, so you know, <laughs> I, I can't wait for that to come out next next month. <laughs> yeah. And while you're doing that, you can go uh, rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to this show. You can send me an email at thegreatminute at gmail.com. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. Our Facebook group is The Cooler. And our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. So thank you once again, uh, Curtis, for, for, for joining us today. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun talking to you again, too. All right. Excellent. Until tomorrow, tally-ho. Tally-ho! Tally-ho. Tally-ho. Oh, my God. I forgot. I forgot. Tally-ho.